Awesome. Um, also, just want to point your attention to the fact that our app um, that you can download and is available for you um, wherever you get your apps from. Uh, we are starting something um, called Sunday Discussions as a little chat room. And one of the things that over the last six months through the COVID season, we've been running our live groups based on a teaching um, through the book of Mark, which we are nearly done, by the way, two more weeks, and that's it. And um, one of the things that I've heard feedback from is the discussions on the teaching has really helped people to internalize and to unpack the messages. And so we're like, hey, we've got this app. We're already paying to have this app available. And so if there are things that you're wanting to uh, dive deeper into, uh, see what other people think about, you can just join in the conversation I will put on uh, weekly discussion questions just for you to also think about certain aspects of the message and, and maybe you can use that as conversation starters at your next family meal. I don't know. Or you can jump on, put in your two cents worth and we can talk about it. If I was talking way too fast and you didn't understand what I was saying, you can say, Pastor Nate, can you please repeat what you were saying at exactly 10.42 and I will remember no, I will not, but I will try to help you out with what I might have possibly said, um, or you can listen to the podcast as well. But that's our Sunday discussions. We want you to jo join in because we don't want what we do here to just simply be information. We want this to go deeper than that. We want this to affect and transform your lives. Uh, I pray to every message that I give, you should be thankful for that. And I really do believe that God has got a word for us every time, whether it's myself or someone else, the fact that we gather together and take the time to be here, I believe that God wants to speak. And so let's allow that word to transform our lives. I'm just going to pray and then we're going to get started on today's message. God, I pray that you open our hearts, you open our ears. Let us not be like the people that you spoke about in, in, the, in the word where even though they have eyes, they do not see. Even though they have ears, they do not here. I pray that we will be people that have eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that receive the word that you have for us. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Gosh, I must be really excited. My throat's already dry. Let's see how we go through the rest of this morning. And um, we are in our Stretch Marks series. We started this a couple of weeks ago before Father's Day, and we spoke about change. And we spoke about how if we don't change deliberately, we end up moving backwards in our life. If we don't grow internally, we will end up moving backwards in our lives. If, oh, thank you. Literally. Thank you. <laughs> On the podcast, everyone's going to be like, I have no idea what just happened there. But thanks, George. Um, but we talked about the work of growth. We need to work to continue growing. And then we spoke about three things. I don't know who is going to remember this, but if you do, you might get a thank you water as well. Um, but three things that we need to continue the work of growth, and that is the body of Christ. That is to speak the truth in love, and it is to commit to service, right? So we need those three things. I hope that you are going to engage in those three things. You're here this morning, so that's a fantastic sign that you are taking the message seriously. But today we continue to unpack more about what the Bible says about change in our lives. And we're going to read in James chapter 1, and we're going to read the first four verses. Got to read from the NIV version, it's also on the screens. James chapter 1, 
from verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered across the nations. And before we go any further, I just wanted to point out a, a couple of things. Who is this James and who is he writing to? See, James was actually Jesus's brother or rather stepbrother. And, and we, we know this because it actually says in other parts of the gospel that James was one of his brothers. And in particular in the gospels, we read this really interesting account how James did not think that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, James, along with a few of his brothers and with his mom, Mary, they went to confront Jesus and they wanted to take him home and stop him from preaching and continuing on his ministry. They thought Jesus is crazy. Jesus is crazy. And if any of you have siblings, you would probably think that if your sibling starts to go around saying, hey guys, I'm the Messiah, you will probably be like, I love you, but you are crazy. You need to be put in a straitjacket. You need to be gagged so that no one's going to fall for, oh, you're the Messiah. No, we, as I've got a sister, I love my sister. If my sister says she's the Virgin Mary, I'll be like, heck no, you are not the Virgin Mary. You are crazy. Um, and, and so James did that. He was the brother that led the rest of his brothers with his mom to go get Jesus home and say, stop it. But somewhere along the lines, Somehow, James has a revelation that Jesus actually is the real deal. And so we see this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people would say that this is one of the clearest evidences that Jesus really is God. If he could convince his brother who thought he was crazy that he really is God, something is going on there. And so James actually then becomes one of the key leaders of the Christian church. He becomes one of the elders of the church. And um, in particular, you can read in the book of Acts how um, there was a council in Jerusalem when the gospel was beginning to spread across the nations. And James was the one that was spearheading and leading a lot of the discussions. This guy who was a skeptic became one of the leaders. This guy who did not believe that his brother was the Christ then goes on to lead the church that is based on the Christ, the Christians. And he writes to the 12 tribes which represents Israel. Israel uh, scattered amongst the nations. In other words, he's writing to the Jewish Christians that have been scattered among the nations. And there is a reason why they are scattered, and we're going to come to that in a moment. But we're going to read on in James chapter 1. It says, Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If there's one issue I have with James, is his complete lack of tact. He says, greetings, and then he launches into his strict teaching. 
He goes, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. You know, Paul, when you read his epistles, he will go, Paul to the church in Ephesus. I love you guys. You guys are awesome. I want to come visit you. I love that you love me and I love you too. And then he will go on about all this stuff for about 10 verses. You know, Peter does the same. He's like, to the church, I love you guys. You guys are awesome. I love that you love me too. But James, he goes to the church amongst the nations. Greetings, full stop. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. And why we need to, there's a certain urgency about this letter, isn't there? In fact, some scholars in trying to place the date of this letter isn't completely sure that James wrote this letter himself. Rather, there's some evidence that James could have possibly already died. And his, follow, uh, his disciples, um, who are Christians, of course, uh, then collated his work and wanted to ensure that his work was um, memorialized, but also sent it out to other people because they thought this teaching was so important. And why this teaching is so important is because of what the Jewish Christians and the Christians were faced across the world. When they say, when, when it is written, um, when, whenever you face trials of many kinds, they weren't talking about the inability to find parking at Carousel on a Saturday morning. They weren't talking about being trolled on Facebook. They weren't talking about, you know, being bullied in the workplace or, or maybe even where some kind of sexual harassment, even though that is absolutely terrible. These trials that these brothers and sisters were faced with was literal death across the world. In that moment, Christians were seen as a subversive cult. They were seen as taking away from the proper gods of different regions. They were seen as people that were destroying people's way of life. And therefore, there was active, present persecution on a daily basis. These people were being killed for believing in Jesus. So when this letter goes out, and there's a certain urgency about it. It's possibly because there is an urgency about the trials that they're about to face. And so James writes, really strangely, consider it pure joy. And I have rarely thought that pure joy and many trials go hand in hand. And so I was like, I wonder if there's something lost in translation. Maybe joy is supposed to be pain. Consider it pure pain when you face trials of many kinds. Yeah, that actually makes sense. So I went into the Greek that is used in this, in this passage, and, and, and this word joy is used on many other occasions in the New Testament, but I'm going to uh, let you know about a couple of them. One of them was when the wise men were trying to find baby Jesus, and they were uh, on their way to find baby Jesus, and they saw this bright star in the sky. And they knew that this star was leading them to Jesus. And because they knew it was leading them to Jesus, they were like, I'm filled with joy. And there's, another, there's another time that this word joy is used, the very same Greek word. And that is when Jesus was teaching a parable, and he was teaching a parable about a man who bought a field, or, or who was working in a field, and as he was working in a field, he found a treasure of great value. 
He found his treasure of great value. He quickly buries it, and then he goes away. He sells everything he has so that he can buy this field. And it's said that he did so with great joy. You see, joy comes when we have a treasure at the end of whatever we're doing, right? Joy and treasure. Many of us would not put joy and trials together, but we can understand joy and treasure. But yet in this passage, James tells us that we need to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. However, we also need to understand that he doesn't just leave it there. You guys should be gluttons for punishment. And I think, unfortunately, through history, there have been times that this verse is taken completely out of context. There are actually people who would consider themselves Christians who would self-flagellate. You know, they would whip themselves because, oh, joy, joy. No, no, crazy. That's not what James was talking about. If no one is whipping you, don't whip yourself, okay? Don't go home and say, Pastor Nate said I need to buy a whip. I did not tell you to do that. Do not do that. Okay, he says, consider it pure joy because, verse 3, because of the outcome of those trials. And he says, consider it pure joy because you know that the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then perseverance works. It does something internally inside of us and it allows us to become mature and complete not lacking anything. Now, probably for most of us, thinking or being mature and complete, not lacking anything, it's like, what does that actually mean? What does that actually refer to? Why is that something that we should be so joyful about? See, maturity isn't just becoming older. In fact, it's not about becoming older. I am, my birthday's coming up, so that everyone knows, it is coming up, it's on the 10th of October, please remember that, it's very easy, 10, October is 10, 10, 10, okay, remember it, I'm going to say it again, 10th of October, my birthday's coming up, and it does mean that physically I am more mature than I was last year, but internally, maturity refers to something else completely. What this maturity actually refers to is becoming the finished product of God's design. Becoming the finished product of God's design. When the Bible talks about maturity, it's not just becoming aged like a fine wine or a smelly cheese. It is actually becoming the finished product of God's design. When we are not fully living out God's design for our lives, we are still immature. But when we are actually in a place where we are fully living out God's design, that's maturity. And what James teaches us is that maturity and completeness are are, are facets that come together. And he explains this by saying not lacking anything. And I was thinking about this. I was like, does this mean that, you know, if I needed a mansion, I will have a mansion? Does this mean that if I needed a Lamborghini, I would get a Lamborghini? Or maybe, you know, I'm not that you know, needing all this stuff. Maybe it's just a job. If I needed a job, does that mean that I'll have a job? Does maturity mean that I will have all of my physical needs met? And that is not what this is talking about, okay? Maturity and completeness, not lacking anything, refers to the fact that when we are mature and we put our hands to anything, we will always have success. 
That's what it actually means. Not lacking anything means that you cannot fail. You cannot fail when you are a mature Christian. I want that to really seep in because I think that in our Western context, one of the greatest things and the issues that are gone around is that people are so scared. They are so scared and so stressed out of not being perfect and not getting things right. I know so many Christians that would be paralyzed because they don't know whether God is truly speaking about something or not. But when we uh, arrive at the maturity, when we step into the fullness of God's design, when I choose to do something, it is so in sync and in so in tune with what God is wanting to do that I cannot fail. I want to have that kind of Christianity in my life. I want to have that kind of faith in my life that no matter what I'm doing, I'm just breathing air. Oh, that is perfect breathing. You know, whenever I go to my workplaces, whatever I say, it is perfect. It will never fail because I am living out the completeness of God's design in my life. I want that kind of maturity. And if I get that kind of maturity, I can see why I can be joyful. I can see that I can't be joyful because of that. And so James actually teaches us that there is this really important thing that we need to understand, and that is perseverance. Perseverance is hopeful endurance. Perseverance is steadfastness. Possibly a more modern word that we can use to describe perseverance is resilience, the ability to continue to stand no matter what the situation is. And James teaches us that perseverance works to help us to be mature, right? And I thought that that was a really interesting thought. I was wondering, how does perseverance help us to grow? How does perseverance help us? What is it about perseverance that allows us to change and to grow? And, and as I was meditating on it, as I was thinking about this, sorry, quick sweep. How does perseverance help us to grow? It comes in this phrase that most of you know, no pain, no gain. Right? And many of us understand this phrase, no pain, no gain, especially in a very physical way. I am a pretty, um, I'm pretty happy with myself in most facets of my life, but one area that I absolutely fail at is running. I, I don't run. I, I can't run. Apparently, when I run, I look like a box just simply moving around. I think God has given me the ability to have a bodybuilder's bill without the desire to have a bodybuilder um, bill. Um, but running is terrible. I'm like, it's is, is, is painful. You know, and, and I spoke, my brother-in-law actually just ran a half marathon yesterday, 21 kilometers. He did it in one hour, 45 minutes, which I was like, you are absolutely crazy, um, and, and I had a couple of conversations with him about the training and getting there, and, and, and basically I wanted to know, because you know, as much as I can't run, I would like to be able to run. When people are like, oh yeah, I just did an easy 5Ks yesterday, I'm like, what do you mean easy 5Ks? It, there's nothing easy about 5Ks. I drive 5Ks. I don't, I don't, like, where our house is to where our office is, is probably 2Ks, and that's being generous, and I drive those 2Ks. 
It, it is, why would you run 5K and call it easy? And, and I asked him about how he does this, how he's preparing his, his run. And, and like so many other runners, they talk about this pain barrier, right? And so once you cross the pain barrier, it's like you don't, you don't feel anything and you can just keep going. You know what? I think you're crazy. I think the reason why you're not feeling pain anymore is because your body is screaming so loudly that you don't know that you're screaming anymore. My son does this. When he really hurts himself, he lets out one big yell, ah, and then he does this. <laughs> Nothing comes out because he's screaming so loud that is beyond the ability for me to catch what he's doing. And I think that's what happens when you say the pain barrier is crossed. No, your body has just shut down because you're crazy. But then they will talk about how, oh, but after a run, don't you feel how amazing you, you, you know, you, you, you get older. And, no, I'm tired. I did three Ks and I'm tired and I don't feel great about myself. And I'm asking why. And there's a difference there, isn't there? If I am able to cross this pain, I get that gain. But if I don't cross the pain, I don't get the gain. As long as I keep hitting the pain and retreating from it, I am not going to get the gain. No pain, no gain. But what happens when pain stops you from getting to gain? That is where perseverance and endurance actually comes in. You see, what we need to understand is that we get to choose whether we focus on the pain or on the gain. Look at this. James wrote, consider it pure joy. Consider, consider. Other version says, count it all joy or pure joy. Count. And I, I was like, okay, that's a... It's, it, it's, it's like, why would you consider? What, what does this word consider actually mean? What, what, what is it that James is trying to tell us? And I, do, I dove a little bit deeper into the word consider, and I found that this word is literally used to describe a governor. A governor. When the Bible spoke about the governor of the region, it uses the same Greek word consider. And I was like, what in the world does this mean? What was this all about? And this word actually is a very strong word. It actually means leading. It actually means to, uh, to, to, yeah, to lead. And that's why it's used to describe the position of a governor, because you are leading. And so James is actually teaching us to lead ourselves with joy when we face trials of many kinds. We lead ourselves with joy because of the prize at the end of the pain. You get what I mean? When we are about to face a trial, or when we are facing trials, we get to lead our thoughts, our focus on what we are seeing. Am I seeing the pain or am I seeing the gain? For me, as a terrible runner, a person who has not built his perseverance in the ability to run long distances, my focus is on the pain and not on the gain. I want to have the gain, but my focus is on the pain. I want to be able to have that endurance, but when I see the pain, I go, oh, no. And the truth is, there is a reason why we experience pain. 
It's not that pain has no relevance to our lives. Pain actually speaks to us about something that we want to avoid. And, and that is our natural, uh, I believe, God-given design when it comes to pain. Uh, little Sam, he will learn a lot about life through first experiencing pain and being uh, having that encoded into his memory, he won't go back into those spaces again, right? That is how children grow up. And that is how it happens physically, but then that's also what happens emotionally, spiritually, cognitively, on the internal areas of our life. When we experience pain, we begin to catalog it and we begin to say, if I experience that pain, I am to avoid it. However, one of the things that I've noticed about kids versus adults is that kids seem to need to have these pain boundaries brought in. Sam has this amazing ability to throw his head back. And for a little season, he was throwing his head back and hitting hard objects with the back of his head. I thought, okay, son, you can have pain this once because after you have the pain this once, you're not going to do something like that again. You're going to learn. He does it once, bang, uh, does it again, bang. Uh, I'm like, come on, three times, four times. Kids have this really wide pain boundaries. My son has this love of looking over an edge of a high place, whether it's a couch or a table, and wants to dive down. He just believes that that's going to be the most fun he ever has. And, and I don't know how many times he's going to need to fall before he realizes that that pain is meant to tell you to avoid the situation. Kids have this naivety, if you will, or, or this really wide pain barriers or, or boundaries that need to be brought in. But then the opposite seems to be true for most of us as adults. That because we have created these pain boundaries based on our past experiences, we don't cross them. We don't cross these pain boundaries and explore what's on the other side of them because they are messages that have been so deeply encoded into the interior of our being that when we experience that pain, we are like, that is something I cannot cross. That is not something I can work through. And so when James writes to these adults and says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, James is actually teaching us that not all pain is to be avoided. Not all pain is to be avoided. Some pain needs to be crossed. Some pain needs to be endured. And when we learn how to endure some kinds of pain, it leads us into a place of maturity. I'm wondering how many of us have stopped growing because of our, because of our well-intentioned pain boundaries. It's, it's reasonable. But I'm wondering how much we are missing out on what God intends for us because of those pain messages. See, the truth is pain is meant to be data, not a directive. Pain is meant to give us information, not an order. We can choose to take a moment to interpret what this pain is trying to tell us. 
In my life, many people still don't believe me, but I am an introvert. I swear, I am an introvert. I, I do recharge by myself. I don't love being in social, social situations end to end to end to end. I have to prepare to be in social situations. And when I was younger in particular, I was far more of an introvert. I have managed that a little bit more, if you will. Uh, but what I would do is that after church, I would literally just go, oh, I've, I've done enough today. I'm going to go home. And I loved home. You can ask mom and dad. I, I, I would just be at home. What do I do at home? I would nap, watch some TV, chill out, do really um, loner things um, because that was how I recharged. I was happy in that space. And, and, and so I literally, I would go to birthday parties of people that I did like and, and enjoy as friends. And I would be at this birthday party and literally the thought in my mind is, I wonder what time I can leave. Go to a wedding, and it's like, it's like, oh man, this, this is not like a birthday party. I'm gonna have to be here for at least another hour, and and that would that would go through my mind because what was I doing? I was focusing on the pain, and it was painful because I saw it as pain, and there was literally kind of like an epiphany. I, I think it was um, a bit of a revelation from God one day, and. Um, I don't exactly know how this revelation came about, but one day there was this thought, Nate, you want to be a pastor? Yes. You want to do the whole pastor thing, which means serving people? Yes. That means you're going to need to be around people? No. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 seriously. If I want to be a pastor, it means social situations a lot more than what you're currently doing. I was like, oh. And so before me was placed two choices. Either I work through the pain of having to be at social situations and build relationships, or I will have to change my dream. Both options look terrible. Neither of those appealed to me at all. And so I think basically I trusted that God was calling me to do what I'm doing today. And I had to refocus myself and not focus so much on the pain. The, the pain, not so much that when I go to a social situation, I am in agony, but basically uh, it was a drain on my emotional tank. And to this day, some social situations, most social situations would mean a drain from my tank. However, when I was younger, draining from the tank was always interpreted as bad. Whereas now, I go draining from the tank is an expense that I'm willing to take. And there's a difference in the way that I'm focusing and thinking about the pain. And, and so I changed my focus from the pain to the gain, and I started to enjoy social situations. And I was like, wow, people aren't that bad. <laughs> people don't always do lame, shallow talk. We can actually be friends. This is great. And I started to enjoy myself more. Now, I still have introverted tendencies. I still recharge alone. But like I said, I started to look past the narrative, the script, the directive that pain means avoid in social situations. And I started to go, social situations need to be dealt with according to my values, according to my dreams, according to what God is purposing in my life. And having crossed the pain boundary, 
I can honestly say that it has brought great maturity in my life. I'm not here to tell you that your pain doesn't mean anything. There is a reason why that pain boundary exists. That pain boundary exists because of your experiences and what you've gone through. They do mean something. And we do need to acknowledge that those pain boundaries exist. I had to go through many years of observing why it is that I don't really love social situations. I had to. It was something that I had to work out why this was a boundary that was so fixed for me. And, and there were issues and things that I delved into from my past that helped me to see that I was worried and I was scared about social situations, but that, that fear did not need to be the directive for my life. So whatever the pain is in your life, examine it. Why are you listening to that boundary? Why are you listening to that? And it can be something as small as many people say, you know, I don't read the Bible because it's too hard. Why are you not willing to cross that pain boundary? Why? What, what is it about this that you're not willing to cross? All the way to anxieties and, 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 and larger fears and, and all of those things. They, they are reasons for this. What is that pain that is stopping you from growing? But I guess a bigger question then is how do I know what pain boundaries to push back? Because some pain is meant to be good for us. It gives us a, a, a wisdom into how we choose things. And so I want to come back to James. Remember, we've just read the first four verses. I now want to read the fifth verse. And it says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Remember the imagery of being tossed by, uh, by the wind and the waves? Remember we used this analogy two weeks ago? It refers to an immature person, a person that is like an infant. You can listen to the podcast if you want to get that analogy down. Um, but then James goes on to say, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. I used to look at this verse I go, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Beautiful, such a powerful promise of God. But what I didn't understand is why is this verse in the context of trials and perseverance? Is, James is not written like the book of Proverbs where every verse is a different kind of proverb. It is written as a letter that is meant to be read out from start to finish. And so when James is writing about the trials that you are meant to persevere through because it brings maturity and completeness, not lacking anything, he then goes on to say, if you lack wisdom. So why is there a lack of wisdom? You see, wisdom is actually the ways of God, how God has designed the world. When I get wisdom, I am learning about how God has intended the world to work. And when I have wisdom from God, I understand how the world works and I understand my place in the world. And so I therefore learn what pain boundaries to keep and what pain boundaries to push. 
When I'm talking about getting wisdom from God in the context of James chapter 1, which God gives generously, it is saying, God, examine me, show me what pain I shouldn't be living according to. And then it goes on to say, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. What does it mean? It says, when God tells you that pain boundary needs to go, you make sure that pain boundary goes. And that's why James writes what he writes. Because what is the point of saying, God, I, I want to be an amazing soldier for you. I want to live according to your will. And God is saying, well, get your relational area of your life sorted. No! That is an area you do not get to touch, God. Well, you've just asked for wisdom. God's just given you wisdom. You just doubt it. You are immature. You are not going to receive anything from the Lord because you're double-minded and unstable in all that you do. I'm not trying to be harsh here. But what I'm saying is that pain has a way of being so personal, doesn't it? My pain. Don't touch my pain. You do not get to tell me how to live my life because you've not lived in my shoes. Well, God has seen every single moment of your life from beginning to the end, even the moments that haven't occurred yet. And he says, you are greater, you are bigger, you are stronger. You've got greater capacity. You've got greater dreams that I'm going to place in your heart. But you need to let that pain go. You need to live through and persevere and stand up in the midst of that pain. And when you're doing so, lead it with joy, understanding that I'm bringing maturity and completeness into your life. And that maturity and completeness in your life will give you the confidence that you are not going to fail. I think so many of us lack wisdom because we listen to the wisdom of our pain rather than the wisdom from our Lord. And there is wisdom in your pain. There is. If you've been neglected, abandoned, rejected, hurt, wounded, there's pain. Obviously, you can become defensive about those issues and those situations. Yes, I understand. God understands. But understanding is different from going, well, that's your lot then. Choose to be small. That's fine. I don't think that's how God views us. He sees your pain. We do not have a high priest who does not understand, but one who has gone through every temptation and still comes through blameless. He understands every pain. He understands every moment. He understands every insecurity. He understands every fear. He understands every worry. He understands every anxiety. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so what I'm wanting to put forward today is that we take a stance against pain in our lives. What are those barriers that you've come to that you've gone, whew, that's too much? I'm not saying to do this without God's wisdom, but if God is highlighting something to you, if God has been pushing that area of your life, you've got memories that have been popping up for no reason. I, I actually know this person recently I was talking to, and this person was talking about how she doesn't know why, but certain memories from her past have just started to pop up out of nowhere. It just started to come back to her. 
And she was like, why is this memory coming back? And for a while, I didn't understand why. But then I maybe thought, maybe God is saying, you need to deal with this pain now. Maybe it's time for you to deal with that pain. The enemy is not here to push you down. Your God is here to lift you up and to say, this pain is no longer going to define you. This pain is no longer going to define you. This pain is no longer going to be part of your identity because I am asking you to persevere through it because there is maturity and completeness on the other side. If I can get the band up this morning. We need to grow. We need to change. I hope that that is a truth that I've established over the two weeks ago and touched on today. How do we do that? Often the root is through our pain. But the pain is not a directive, it's simply information. And God could be potentially giving you wisdom to work past that pain because he's wanting to bring you to a greater place of maturity and a greater place of completeness. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.